Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I remember multiple times going home, bawling my eyes out to my husband, going, I can't do this. I just want to go, just want to quit my job. Actually, there was a drug dealer outside of Kindy this morning in Surrey Hills, and I was like, oh, look, there's a drug dealer. And I hear, a drug dealer. I think a lot of people in the industry thought that I was too young and too inexperienced. Hi, I'm Keshni Kemp, and I'm the editor of Who Magazine. This is our podcast, Raw Talks. Raw and unedited, we'll peel back the layers to reveal the friend, the mum, the wife, the partner, the person behind the brand. Today on the podcast, fashion commentator Elle Halliwell talks to me about fashion snobs, imposter syndrome and swearing in front of her son. Hi Elle, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I was just thinking, 10 years both of us have been in this industry and we've never met. That's Isn't that bizarre? And I reckon we've crossed paths dozens of times and I feel like we're kindred spirits considering we are both wearing pyjama tops today. (laughs) And the same necklace. And the same necklace. (laughs) So I want to go back to the very beginning when you started out. You were in Northern Beaches, you grew up in the Northern Beaches and you went into fashion. Why fashion? I always really loved fashion. I grew up with two older sisters who were obsessed with fashion. So I was dressed up like a doll from literally like the age of about six months. You know, my mum would walk in and there I'd be sitting there about, you know, a year old with lipstick on, eyeshadow and the most ridiculous outfits. And so I think it was almost one of those things that I just couldn't not love fashion as I was growing up because it was such a part of my life. And when you started in fashion because you were a journalism student, did you ever think that it wasn't the serious version of journalism and then you should maybe consider something else and work your way into that? I just know personal experience, even working in celebrity titles, that as a journalism student, you know, it's kind of hammered into you to do the hard, tough stuff, the political stuff, the news, like the straight news reporting. Did you ever question that choice? Yeah, it's funny because I, I, while I loved fashion, I loved journalism. I, I really wanted to tell stories. And so I think that's what I decided was going to be my profession. And so I went into journalism thinking I might be a foreign correspondent. I might write, you know, political stories. I really didn't know where I was going. Mm -hmm. All I wanted to to do was be in a newsroom and be in the media and, you know, just run around and interviewing people and all of that kind of stuff. So when I finally landed at the telly as a glorified coffee girl, basically, um, I kind of got to see who was who in the zoo. So I got to hang out with the sports crew. I got to hang out with the the entertainment guys, the political guys, the police. And, you know, I also, as a cadet, got to kind of cover all of these different rounds. So it was a really good way to figure out exactly what I loved and what I didn't. And, you know, being a police reporter was pretty scary. Um, Such good training though, right? It really was. And, you know, I loved doing all of that kind of stuff. I think it really was a great, um, you know, it it really grounded me and – when I kind of decided that I wanted to take my love of fashion and kind of turn it into more of a profession, 
um, rather than just like a little side hobby, something that I enjoyed. Um, I knew that I had a really great grounding in in proper journalism so that I could marry the two really well. And did you always feel welcome in that space? Like I have felt in my career, and I think it's changed now obviously because my role has changed, Mm. but when I started 10 years ago as an intern, grabbing bananas and all the rest and then kind of worked my way up, I think the first fashion week I was maybe a junior reporter around there. And it wasn't that well. It wasn't what I expected it to be. I thought it would be this celebration of fashion and style and really welcoming and exciting and all of those things. And then when I got there, I actually felt like it was really excluding and it wasn't so friendly. And I didn't feel very comfortable there, not until much later. Did you have the same experience? Oh, absolutely. It was so intimidating going into things like Fashion Week. And I just remember all of the politics about things like who was in the front row and, oh, you know, is she too new to be in the front row, things like that. You know, you'd often get like little side glances and raised eyebrows when, you know, there you were sitting there. And, you know, I basically fell into the fashion editor role at a really young age because the previous fashion editor left um, quite suddenly. And the deputy editor of the paper at the time, Helen McCabe, dragged me into her office and was like, we don't have a fashion editor. You're going to do it until we find someone new. And I literally was like, what the hell? Like this changed my life. And I actually mentioned this in my book and Helen um, and I had a chat about it. She's like, I just can't believe that it was such a small thing for me at the time. But for you, like this was a life-changing opportunity. And so I remember walking out of her office just thinking, shit, this is my chance. Don't blow it, Elle. Do not blow it. (laughs) Make sure that you do such a good job that they forget that they need to hire someone else in this role. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a lot of people in the industry thought that I was too young and too inexperienced. So there was a lot of pressure on me to make sure that I stepped up to that role. And I just, I remember multiple times going home, bawling my eyes out to my husband going, I can't do this. I just want to go, just want to quit my job. And it's, you know, it's too hard. There's too many mean people in the industry. Um, So I really had to kind of um, harden up. And that was scary. That was a big thing for someone because I'm quite soft and and, and like kind natured. So it was Mm. hard. Yeah, that is really, I mean, I've had the same kind of experience. I've been brought, you know, I'm 30. So I started out when I was, you know, 10 years ago, 20, 19 as an intern. And there were times where I was the manager of people who, you know, were older than me, more experienced than me. And I actually, in in looking back in hindsight, I think that I probably handled those things not as well as I would have handled now because I was trying to assert myself. I was trying to show that I was able and and now I've learned from those lessons to be a better manager by not having to change to be a better manager, not having to change who I am to be stronger or assertive or seem older or whatever. Yes. And it sounds like a shared experience. It sounds like you had the same kind of thing. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, Keshni, but imposter syndrome, it's still well and truly alive in me. You know, it's one of those things that you always question whether, you know, you're doing enough or, um, you know, whether you really are as capable as other people perceive you. And I think that that's a big thing that women often struggle with is that imposter syndrome. And that's what I'd say to anyone who's quite young, you know, Sometimes we, you know, all of us, we still fumble around sometimes and... 100%. Yeah, we don't always get it right. Um, And I think that while confidence does come with age, there's always still that niggling thing in the back of your mind going, oh, you're not good enough. Can I do it? not good enough. No, you're not going to do it well. (laughs) And still getting the thrill of having a great result that you went and sold yourself as being able to do. But then you pull it off and you're like, shit. Yeah, you get a little (laughs) bit more confident in telling that little voice to 
F off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so what have been some of the defining moments in your career that you think that have made you more confident? Because I think that good style is about confidence. And so it's the things along the way in life that have made us more confident to have a stronger sense of style. Yeah, um, I think it's things like for me, like breaking really great fashion stories was always like a really big moment for me in my career. Um, you know, I guess being celebrated by your peers in the industry. Look, there's so many, so many great things um, that I've experienced in this job. Like I've travelled the world, I've met some incredible people, I've interviewed some amazing designers, I've gotten to know, you know, so many really massive models and follow them throughout their career. You know, Jessica Gomes. You know, I I spoke to her when she was, you know, a Sports Illustrated model back in the day, and she was pretty much unknown in Australia. And I remember going into the editor's office one day, going, "Look, there's this girl, Jessica Gomes. She's going to be massive." We've got to run her big and the editor was like nah I don't know this girl who is she anyway we brought her in the office and I was like look how beautiful she is she's gonna be massive anyway she ran on the front cover of I think Sunday Style back back at that time and then after that it was like she just went gangbusters and so you know we've we've kept in touch over the years and so it's great being able to see these careers of these either models or emerging designers who, you know, are, are literally kind of unheard of, fresh out of, you know, school or um, fashion college. And just seeing them do so well over the years, that's that's one of the, um, the best parts of my job as well, is just seeing the incredible growth that some of our kind of well-known fashion stars can have. Mm. And you've done a lot of celebrity interviews over your career, designer celebrities. I've been fortunate to do a couple and a lot of them seem quite similar in memory, but some of them really touched me and not physically because that's not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> them really moved me in a way that actually helped define me. I think that one of them was Diane von Furstenberg, whose mum obviously survived the Holocaust. She was pregnant with Diane when she escaped and she was really moving, really touching for me. Who have been those people for you? Oh, that's a really good question. Oh, I, know look, you, I know you chatted to Oprah, that's a thing. Yeah, she's, I mean, seriously, there are no words. Um, she's absolutely incredible. I mean, Sass and Bide, Heidi and Sarah Jane, like they've just done so well in their careers and they're incredible mothers and they've both had some, you know, huge challenges. But, you know, every time that I interview them, I always leave just feeling so inspired, like they're an incredible pair and it's really exciting to see you know that Sarah Jane's now got her her you know own label happening again so it's great to see her you know back in the industry god Kit Willow like there's so many amazing Australian designers who are taking over the world now and Mm -hmm. it's fantastic um I, I want to know about you though. Who's your most <laughs> memorable interview? That just you turning the table. Of. I honestly think it's Diane. She was so great and yeah. just very warm and welcoming. And I was quite junior at the time. I was just lucky. I was working for Channel Nine, and it was just she was so passionate about so much. And she she spoke to everyone that day. You know, the girls who were there behind the camera, the guys holding the mics, the you know my, myself. And she really engaged with every person. I think that's quite rare. Yeah. I think the more famous you are, the more you're likely to do that. The less famous you are, the more likely you are to not be so kind. So true. Um, And she was really, really wonderful. I really enjoyed her. You've got some big news, big career news. I do. I know. After 12 years, oh, sorry. No, that's a lie. After 11 and a half years, I'm leaving the Daily Telly. Oh, my goodness. And the Sunday, well, News Corp. Um, That's massive, Elle. It is because... uh, 
as I said to you earlier, I feel like I'm part of the furniture there. Like I literally got my gold pen last year <laughs> for, you know, 10 years of service. So it's been, for, you know, for someone our age, that's a long time to be in any kind of job. Absolutely. So I, I kind of feel quite proud of myself because I, I didn't go in there that first kind of week thinking this is going to be my home for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, I'll stick around, do this for a couple of years and then you know, make my next move. Um, yeah, so I feel, yeah, I feel pretty chuffed that, you know, first of all that they've nurtured me through through that time. But I kind of thought, you know, I, I had my baby and, and I got sick and my whole life changed and I kind of felt like I, I came back to news with a different perspective on everything and I kind of thought I think it's time to jump and to to take on some new challenges. And so it was something that I'd kind of been considering for, for the last few months, like seriously. And finally, yeah, it, it just – the opportunity came up and I thought, all right, let's do this, let's jump. And I'm still – shitting my pants, <laughs> pardon the, the language, but it's um, I'm so excited because there's so many things that I've got to do at the moment and, um, yeah, really excited as well just to spend some time with my little boy. You know, mm-hmm. he's nearly two and I just feel like the days are flying by so quickly mm. and I just want to soak everything up. I want to talk about 2016. Mm-hmm. You went to the doctors with gastro. Five weeks later you find out you've got a rare form of cancer. Mm-hmm. Two days later you find out you're pregnant and then you're forced to make the decision, which is you detail in your book, A Mother's Choice. Mm. Yeah, it was I a pretty can, rough week. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I cannot imagine yeah. as a mother, I cannot imagine. First of all, I think it's unfair that you didn't get to experience that separately, mm. that you're finding out that you were pregnant and that experience, you, that was kind of taken from you. Yeah, it, I felt really robbed. Yeah. Because in your mind you have this idea of this perfect announcement and everyone giving you hugs and I I still got hugs but they were of the kind of you know I'm so sorry kind do you know what I mean because uh, and seeing the look of pity on people's faces when we we told them the news was quite devastating Uh, but we kind of got a little bit of redemption I feel like um, a little bit later on during the pregnancy once we decided what we were going to do it was around my birthday and we decided that we were going to find out the gender um, so we, we sent the gender results to a cake maker and we did the cake reveal on my birthday. So Amazing. we got all of our family and friends um, to, to kind of sit around the table. And so we got to really celebrate that part of it, which was really nice. Um, to, to, so we found out that we were having a boy and it was just so amazing. I felt like I got that celebration that I missed out of on during those first few weeks. Yeah. Um, so that was really nice. It was a very good way to do it. And how did you handle mentally being pregnant and facing that feeling of knowing that you're unhealthy, how did you mentally kind of balance the two? Because it's there's an elation because you're growing your little human and then there's the fear of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. How did you kind of balance so you could get on with every day? Yeah, it was a really hard thing to do. But at the same time, after I found out, well, after I told people about my illness, my you know close friends and family, I kind of was put into a bubble. So it was great because I didn't have to worry about anything outside of literally keeping myself and my baby healthy. You know, I had my husband taking care of any kind of bills and things like that. I had um, my amazing co-workers kind of just holding the fort with the job and saying, don't worry about that. So I really didn't have to worry about anything except this. And after having worked 
so hard for such a long time and, you know, I, I suffered from chronic anxiety for so long. When all of that was taken away and I didn't have to, to worry about any of those elements, I felt so free and free of anxiety as well that it was actually so manageable. It was surprisingly a lot more manageable than I think if I'd found out I was pregnant and I still had all of that drama that I was, was going on in my life generally because I'd have that anxiety still. So my anxiety disappeared after, you know, in the weeks following my diagnosis, which was strange. And while I was I was still so scared and there was a lot of worry, there wasn't that chest-tightening stress and anxiety, which I think was really beneficial for my health at that time. Mm. So it was great. You know, I would get up in the morning and I would go for a walk and that would really clear my head and allow me to really process all of the feelings that I was feeling at the time and kind of get to connect with, you know, with this baby that I eventually decided that I was going to keep. And then, you know, I'd go home and I'd prepare myself the most nutritious incredible breakfasts and lunches and things like that. So I really – it was a real lesson in self-care and and I was really kind to myself for the first time in such a long time. And that's something that I'm really trying to continue but it's hard yeah. because, you you know, you, you're a mum and you're running around picking up after, you know, like I call him the tornado because <laughs> he literally just trashes the house. I want to turn my back for a moment, you know, and then you've got you, you, you're juggling work and just the pressures of daily life. So that's something that I've really had to quite um, be quite strategic about in terms of managing, um, I guess, all of that craziness of life. And sticking to a bit of a self-care ritual. Yeah, I've found that too, actually, in the last year, that since I've had my son Xander, he's one now, and I found that I'm better at being a mum, I'm better at being a wife and a friend and a sister when I have just a little bit of me time, mm-hmm. that it's it's so important to have that time for yourself. And even more so when you're, when you know, you're you've got cancer, my God, even more important for you to be able to balance that. It's important for you. But you probably, and I I think you've said before that you felt like during that period, you kind of repressed the biggest feelings because you wanted to make sure those around you were okay. Mm. And probably so that they were strong enough to be there for you. It's almost like full circle, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's funny because the the hardest thing for me was looking at my mum in those first few weeks and knowing that all she wanted to do was burst into tears in front of me. And so I kind of, yeah, developed this strategy that if I could be positive and bubbly and everything, then no one else around me would would be kind of, I guess, feel the right to be upset. So they would have to put on a happy face, which would, you know, actually make me feel better. Yes. So it was a, a bit of a kind of, yeah, very strange, but that's kind of how I, how I dealt with it. And when I was writing the book, I had to kind of go back and and almost interview my friends and family about how they were feeling at that time. And that's when all of the floodgates opened and all of those emotions finally came out. So it was very cathartic for me um, and it was well overdue at that time. So there were a lot of tears shed on those, you know, on that keyboard when I was writing um, writing my book. Um, but I think it was really good for them too because they could finally, once all of the kind of immediate danger had passed, be able to kind of process those emotions too. And I think that everyone kind of, you know, had a big sigh of relief after we kind of just got through it all and talked through it all. And how about having Tor? Tell me about that. Oh, my God. He's just 
the most incredible little boy. Um, so we had him a month early. Mm-hmm. I, I was induced. Naturally. Naturally. Yes, yeah. naturally. Um, and then it was great because uh, it's funny because I, I – had so many tests done at that time that I can't remember ex- the timings exactly. But what happened was around the time that I had him, my well, before I had him, I think it was a month before, my levels spiked up. So my cancer levels spiked. And so they were like, okay, well, we sh- we've got to get him out early. So we had him. And then I think it was only a few weeks later that I, I got the second test and my levels had dropped dramatically. And so I begged and pleaded with my haematologist. I was like, look, would it be possible to breastfeed just for a few weeks? And so I got an extra month of that. And I just, I was literally like a dairy cow in that month because I knew that I had a time limit and I was going to pump so much milk. I filled that freezer. Like, it was quite amazing. My husband thought I was, I was like a woman possessed. Like I hardly slept more, not necessarily because he was, you know, I uh, was not sleeping, but because I was like, no, can't go to bed, got to pump, got to pump. So um, it was great because I, you know, I got a, quite a few liters in that in that freezer by the end of the five weeks, and um, yeah, so it was it was nice just to be able to, you know, give him that little bit of you know of milk. Kind of almost don't remember that first six weeks. <laughs> it's all a blur anyway, too. I mean, I think that in the first six weeks, first four weeks, you learn the most about yourself as a person mm. and when you're pushed to your limits, like when you haven't slept, you know, when your baby's waking up every half hour and you've got to be calm because he's a reflection of your energy and, you know, you've got to try and get him to sleep. That's where I think you actually learn how strong you could can be. It, it, like you can't comprehend it until you're in the middle of it. You go, it can't be that hard. Like, you know, they're a baby. They just sleep all No. No, they only sleep when, you know, you're like trying to – they wake up when you're trying to get to sleep yes. and vice versa. It's like they have this weird kind of oh, sixth yeah. sense. It's an alarm. Yeah. I, have, I cannot stand when people say sleep when they're sleeping because oh. did you ever – I have ne- no. I never slept when he was sleeping. I was not just one pumping. Time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, are you the kind of mother you thought that you would be? Um. Oh, no, I didn't know what kind of mother I'd be. And it's funny, I guess for me, I always said like when I have a baby, I'm going to be like if I can, like 24-7, like stay-at-home mum just, you know, until they go to school. And like literally about two months, I was like, I need some mental stimulation. I need to see people. I need to get out of my pajamas. Not well, I am wearing them right now. <laughs> back in but now. at the time, I was like, I just don't want to be in my pajamas anymore. And so I went back to do little bits of work fairly quickly after, and I realised that I needed that balance. And I think it's really hard to predict what kind of what you're going to be like when you have a baby, whether you you kind of need to kind of keep your brain stimulated in that sense or whether, you know, you're just happy to hang out with them. Yeah. And I don't think there's any right, you know, the, the, either either is great. It's just whatever suits you best as a mum. But now I'm still trying to figure out what the balance, that perfect balance. I don't mm. think there is a perfect balance, but what works for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, two years on, he's just... The, the cutest little thing and I just love him to bits and he's at this age where he's just a parrot. <laughs> Everything we say, 
is copied. Actually, I think he's, I said something. Re- oh no, I probably shouldn't repeat it because I, <laughs> I think it was a, actually there was a drug dealer outside of Kindy this morning in Surrey Hills, and I was like, oh look, there's a drug dealer, and he, I hear drug dealer. I was like, oh, oh my god, sorry. And you sometimes forget that they're in the back of the car, and you say it, and then now I'm hearing. So we've got to be really careful with it's what we say. It's hard not to laugh as well. Xander's just found no no. He was going for a ball, and I said Xander, and he turns around to. Me and he goes, no, no. I was like, oh. oh my god! And it was so funny that I was trying to keep a straight face, but it's so funny because he's so cute. Yes. I mean, he's one. Oh. And he goes, no, no. Like this, it was just heaven. So I think I'm really going to struggle when he's doing things he's not supposed to, and I think that they're hilarious. Yeah, it is. I know. It's and you almost you kind of want them to keep doing it so you can film it. Yeah. But then you also don't want to encourage them. So yeah, there's a there's a bit of balance. A bit of balance there. <laughs> I'm surprised about the things that I really care about and the things I really don't. Like mm. most things, I'm pretty chill about. Yeah. I really like him being barefoot and nude and all those things. But I really care about what I put in his body and on his body because I feel like that's the only thing I can really control so far. Yes, I'm exactly the same as you. Um, But I've also learnt not to be too crazy about it because I don't want him to have a weird association with food. So, you know, if he picks something off the floor, I'm like, is that going to kill him? No, okay, keep going, at ease. Um, But, you know, when it's dinner time at home, like, you know, when he's at his grandparents, like, seriously, my my dad, I walked in, he was minding him the other day. There were McDonald's chips <gasps> on the floor. Like he just put them on. He was just grabbing them off the floor. I was like, you took my son to McDonald's, Dad? And he's like, oh, I loved the thick shake. I nearly had a heart attack. I'm not kidding. Like this kid has, like his body is a temple. And there my dad is putting, a, yeah, a McFlurry or whatever. I don't know what he gave him. I was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. don't want to know. Better not to know. First and last time. But I guess for me, when he's with me, he eats really well. And then, you know, when he's with his grandparents, except for McDonald's or junk, you know, really yes. bad food, I'm like, just do what It's the exact you want. same on my side, exactly the same. I try and – I mean, he eats everything off the floor, so I'm sure he's <laughs> eating things that people should not ingest. Do you have a pet? I have a pet. Oh, God, there so you go. It, yeah. whole, all kinds of shit. And he's always crawling around in the park, so that's fine. But my my um, my in-laws and my parents, they've both fed him croissants that I'm like, please <laughs> – he looks like a croissant. Like, the kid <laughs> eats so much food. Anyway, I've learned a lot about myself from being oh, his mother and what yeah. I can and can't tolerate. I've also found that – since becoming a mum, my style has changed. I wear a lot more bold things. A lot of friends said they wear a lot more easy things to wear, mm. but I think that I've actually become more confident and it might be because I just like what I like more now and I don't really care yep. about what that looks like. Have you found that your style has changed? Yeah, it's funny because my style is constantly evolving. Through through the last two years, I kind of fell into a bit of a habit where I was like, I'm going to have a uniform. I, it's it's just makes life easy, so I can just throw on because I know to quote Suzanne, this goes with that. <laughs> um, but it's funny because I opened up my top drawer a little while ago, and I, I really looked at what was in there because I was kind of sorting through it. And I was like, oh my god, I look. My wardrobe is Steve Jobs. <laughs> like I literally have black skivvies and black jeans, <laughs> and like there is no color in my wardrobe. The nannies is in though, so you're, you're kind of safe. <laughs> so true. Um, But it's funny, in the last few months, I don't know why, maybe it's because in my head I was like, I'm, you know, about to make a big leap into the Mm -hmm. unknown and I've started to incorporate some more prints into my wardrobe. Like your printed pyjamas? Yeah. And it's funny because you sometimes think, oh no, this is my style. 
But then you look back at, you know, previous years and decades and you go, oh, what was so different back then? And so how do you know that it's not going to keep evolving? And so Mm -hmm. that's why I'm very much open now to just, you know, being, yeah, being open to just something that I like. When you look back in your on your career, when style-wise, your style timeline through your career. Oh, gosh. Oh, shut up. <laughs> make you shut up. I think at the time when I was starting out, you know, I didn't have any money. And when I came in, I had saved up to move here from the Gold Coast. And I was wearing, you know, spendless and everything. And I thought I was killing it at yep. the time. I was like, yes, this dress is exactly what I should be wearing. And, you know, it was this, I didn't really have the same confidence in knowing who I was or who I wanted to be. So I think that was a reflection of where I was at that time and obviously I feel very different now do you feel like you could kind of timeline where you're at based on your wardrobe through your career yeah I think so and it's funny like when I'm when I really think about it I think kind of I came into my career at a pretty good time fashion wise we were just coming out of like um the GFC or the GFC just kind of started actually and so fashion went from this really crazy kind of um over it was like a little bit of a like an 80s redux in a way and then when the GFC happened everything went very conservative so I kind of look back at my early days and I think oh actually what you wore wasn't too bad it was quite kind of minimalist lots of you know black and just plain plain outfit so I kind of don't look back too much and cringe you sound like you did a better job than me oh really <laughs> yes 100 I, I think, think yeah. you would have been closer to what was actually happening in the oh. in on trend because I when I look back it's frightening a few drop crotch pants though <laughs> although they're I still had those too. In, you know? they are now yeah I think it's very much these days um, I think women can really express their personality through style. I really don't think there are any kind of hard and fast trends because of social media. You know, you look back to the 80s and decades before and there were so few avenues where women could get um, their their style inspiration from. So when it came to trends, they were all very identifiable as that generation. Whereas I feel now in one single year, you can go through the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the noughties. And now it's all kind of becoming this not homogenous, but really anything goes. And I I do really like that. But I have a feeling that in 30 years time, we're not going to be able to look back and go, all right, the kind of, what do we call this decade? The teens? Mm. The defining trends were very not specific. That's right. Mm. Like it was a bit of everything. Whereas I feel like you can kind of define the 80s in one look and the 70s in one look and the 60s in one look. But I really think that those days are gone. And it's a reflection too of this industry and the people in it, I find we've become so much more inclusive in different roles. Like now, if I went to a fashion week, it's a completely different experience and it's people are there actually celebrating the fashion and the art. I'm sure there are still those pockets of bitchiness and unnecessary bullshit, but mostly it's a lot more inclusive and inviting. And I think that's a reflection of the way that we wear fashion now. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's the street style has made fashion so much more accessible. And I think that finally that kind of elite fashion crew has figured out that they can no longer be 
that elite fashion crew. 100%. And just for dripping in designer, it's not just that anymore. Yes. Yeah. And you are seeing blurring of the lines. You know, you've got people like Anna Della Russo, who's yes. an edit- a Vogue editor who, you know, back in the day would have walked into every, um, you know, show wearing all black and things like that. But now she's a bit of both. She's on both teams. And so I feel like only in the last few years everyone's thought, Ah, let's just get along. Yes. You know, and it's just go for it. It's fun. Yes. So fun. I want to talk about Nick, your husband. Okay. You've been married four years. Uh, Do you know it's six years? Oh my God. 2012. Six years you've been married. We just had our anniversary actually and I haven't put anything on social media. So happy anniversary. Thank you. Uh, What was it about Nick when you met him that made you feel like he was the one? Oh, he... He was such a, a great guy. It was really nice, but not too like too nice. Like he he was very attractive, um, but he was a little bit challenging as well. Like he wasn't just completely a nice guy. That's hard. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, but we were next door neighbours. And we didn't hit it off from the very first start because I parked in his car spot and he got really, really upset about it because, you know, car spots in Bondi are really hard to Hot find. property, yes. Yeah, so we didn't get it off on the right foot, but we ended up building this really nice friendship. And what really attracted me to him was his friendship group because every single one of his mates was so nice. His family was so lovely. And I thought that that's such a good reflection on someone and their personalities, who they spend their time with. And so I knew that he wasn't putting on any kind of front for me. He was just a genuinely great guy. And I just remember thinking one day, oh, my God, you are the guy I'm going to marry. And it did take him about seven years to finally propose. <laughs> but, you know, I held on. And, um, and look, yeah, we've been through hell and back together. Um, we've been through so many ups and downs. And, you know, it takes a lot of work, marriage. And, you know, it hasn't always been rosy, but we've just pushed through because, you know, we were like, we've, we're making a really serious commitment to each other. And um, it, having a child is really hard, but we're really quick to, to forgive and say sorry after a fight. And I think that that really helps. And he's helped me to do that a lot more. Like, I, I, I love to hold a grudge. <laughs> <laughs> like, I go off and sulk. And he's very much like, look, I'm really sorry that I did that. And he's like, so what are we doing for lunch? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, I just want to sit and mope around. But I know that that's not the right thing to do. So I'm actually becoming a lot better. So often, yeah, we'll like, we'll have a row and then we'll go, look, I'm really sorry. Okay, let's go to the park with Tor. You know, so <laughs> yeah. it, it's good. So we're very quick to, to forgive. Which is good. And what does he think of this world of this, you know, is he from this industry? No, no. he's in property. Right. Um, and, oh, he, I don't know. Like, he thinks it's a bit funny. A, a little bit, yeah. yeah. You know, especially yeah. when, I, like, after a hard day I might come home and you know complain about you know whatever and he just kind of looks at me and goes oh really? yeah that sucks should we watch Netflix like <laughs> you know and it, so it's nice for me to be to be able to vent mm. um, but not really have to engage in much conversation yeah just I feel dump. the same my husband's not in this industry he's really? in banking yeah so oh, yeah it's completely different and he thinks it's kind of funny so he'll come to some things with me um, and we don't go to that much because we've got bub at home yeah. so we don't not out every night at events but sometimes he'll come to things and he'll just feel like this is ridiculous yes. like he just so not his world you know uh, yeah is he known as the plus one yeah Yes, well, same with mine. But, you know, we, we hit a milestone a couple of weeks ago. Nick actually got invited as well. It was oh. Dear L and Nick. And I sent Nick a, a message going, oh, my God, you've made it. You've been invited to an event with your name, not Dear L plus guest. <laughs> so, yeah. And our industries are competitive industries. There mm. aren't that many positions. And 
lots of girls want to get into them, especially in fashion. Mm. What would your advice be or what do you think that you did differently to make you have longevity and build a good reputation? I think it's just hard work. Really, really hard work, you know, doing the slog, doing the stuff that no one wants to do. Um, Look, it's hard because, uh, I don't know, I think a lot of girls these days, they see, you know, influencers and things like that and think that, you know, if I get X amount of followers, then there's my career. But, you know, having spoken to many influencers who have... 100,000 followers doesn't mean that you know that's their only career like I know a a girl who's got I think 300,000 and you know she works part-time as a call center person at um, like a not-for-profit you know what I mean and so it's it's a lot harder than I think some girls go into and that's the thing that I would say is you know don't get dissuaded but just know that it's a really hard slog to get anywhere and Enjoy the journey too because, you know, I, I'm not sure about you, Keshni, but I, I found like sometimes I've kind of hit milestones in my career and I wish that I'd stopped and really celebrated them and kind of taken it in how far I'd come. But I think that someone who is really driven, like I'm, sh- I, you obviously are, you kind of you get to that top of the mountain and you go, where's the next one? 100%. Yeah, and you don't really kind of appreciate that this is something that you've wanted for so long and mm-hmm. why don't you just sit and kind of enjoy it? And that's something that I have learnt in the last year. I'm like, I've really got to just, I think just being grateful of everything that you have can help you to be in that moment and really absorb all of that happiness and, you know, all of the achievements that you've you've kind of done. That's great. Thank you so much, Elle. Thank you. I could talk for hours with you. I can know. we continue We'll after just this? Keep, we'll we'll switch up and keep yeah. going. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Raw Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to like, rate and subscribe. And of course, share with friends too. And next time on Raw Talks, we speak to Nikki Phillips about suffering in silence after miscarriage, her unconventional birth and her most embarrassing mum moment so far. We'll see you then. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details.